South Africa has approached the International Court of Justice to request an interim measure to prevent Israel from committing acts of potential genocide. This is the biggest story right now on a conflict that has transfixed the world in the last four months. I think it's fair to say that we have never as a human species experienced a war like this before. Because of how much of it we have seen, because of how the war has become a vital political issue in hundreds of countries around the world. Because it has created international movements of solidarity, hundreds of millions of people strong. And because for so many people, it feels so personal. And the outcome of this court proceeding could significantly change how the world understands, speaks of, and remembers this conflict. There's a lot to unpack here, so we're going to do it. We're going to explain what the charges are exactly, why South Africa, of all countries, is bringing this case before the ICJ, what the ICJ even is and even can and cannot do in situations like this, and what might happen if the court upholds South Africa's application. This is the issue with South Africa's application to the International Court of Justice to prevent Israel from potentially committing acts of genocide against Palestinians in Gaza. This is the issue with Dan Corder, because we all know that South Africa is a movie. Welcome to the watch party. South Africa is wild and overwhelming. And on this show, we explain, analyze, and understand the biggest news stories and issues facing this country every single week. Two episodes of The Issue come out every single week on podcast and also in video form on YouTube. And we also release weekly exclusive episodes of interviews and analysis on Patreon. Go find us there. Lastly, if you're new here and enjoy the episode, it would be so wonderful if you clicked subscribe or follow. It makes a huge difference as we develop the show going forward. Right, let's get into it. Before we start, I'm giving you a clear trigger warning. Because what we're about to explore is extremely upsetting and involves awful, violent, terrible, traumatizing acts. And if you'd prefer not to hear about them, this is your warning. Last Thursday and Friday, the opening arguments would have been heard in the International Court of Justice. South Africa's crack legal team, and I have to say, our legal team is like the Avengers. Some of the most extraordinary, powerful, wildly successful, internationally lauded and impressive legal minds that South Africa's ever created, including like Adila Hassam and Tembeka Tokaitobi, have already begun presenting their case at the ICJ. So, the war between Hamas and Israel has been raging since the beginning of October, 7 October 2023 specifically, where Hamas operatives entered Israeli-controlled land and brutally killed more than a thousand people and took hundreds of hostages. Since the 7th of October, Hamas and the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, have been at war. And the majority of the conflict has taken place within Palestine in Gaza. The IDF has mounted a ground offensive and moved into large swathes of Gaza with tanks and has bombed large areas of Gaza. What is going on in Gaza right now is a horrendous humanitarian catastrophe. We're looking at 23,000 people who have been killed, almost 60,000 have been wounded, and two-thirds of the people who have been killed are women and children. 
you're looking at 70% of the housing units in Gaza that have been destroyed. The IDF controls access into Gaza and access out of Gaza. And the IDF has dramatically limited the flow of aid into Gaza for the Palestinian people. And the consequence of that, as well as the IDF's battle strategies within Gaza, has left millions of Palestinians in Gaza on the edge of starvation, unable to access clean and reliable water or food or healthcare. These are not controversial facts. You won't find anybody from either government or any ruling authority or any side fighting with anything I just said. It is this reality that has led to South Africa bringing their request to the International Court of Justice. So let's talk about the International Court of Justice. The International Court of Justice was set up just after World War II, when all the nations of the world were trying to reckon with the awful, terrible atrocities of that war, particularly the Holocaust against Jewish people at the hands of the Nazi government. And countries were trying to figure out a new world order that could prevent anything this evil and terrible from happening again. And so they set up a bunch of organizations to try and create peace and collaboration and cooperative understanding amongst all of the world's powers. The headline organization was the United Nations. But along with the UN, they needed to set up courts that could resolve disputes between nations and pursue justice amongst countries against individuals. And so they set up two courts. The more famous one is the International Criminal Court, and that is used to prosecute individuals accused of crimes against humanity and war crimes. But the other one that we are now all obsessing over is the International Court of Justice. And the ICJ's role is to settle disputes between countries, between nation states. And their work is very broad ranging. The ICJ has literally ruled on the existence of Namibia and who governs it. Because remember, it used to be Southwest Africa, controlled a long time ago by the Germans and then more recently by the apartheid government of South Africa and then got its independence in the 90s. The ICJ has ruled over border disputes and land disputes and territory disputes between various countries. The ICJ has even told countries where and where not they are allowed to practice nuclear arms experiments based on complaints of other countries that they don't want testing to happen in their waters by anybody, let alone a foreign power. The main reason for the ICJ is to arbitrate between different member states of the United Nations when there is conflict or disagreement, or honestly disagreement that could lead to conflict that the ICJ exists to try and prevent. The ICJ consists of 15 judges at any one time, and they all sit for fixed terms or have revolving seats based on the representation required. So for example, Africa has a seat on the ICJ permanently, and an African judge will be nominated and maybe accepted and put into that position from a nomination country from the African continent. Crucially, the ICJ has no enforcement powers. It's got no police force. It's got no army. And so the ICJ's rulings are only effective in as far as the international community rallies behind the ruling, agrees with it, takes it up and champions it, and basically soft pressures states who may not be happy with the decisions that befall them 
to toe the line and do what the ICJ says. And I know that you're immediately thinking, well, Dan, that's a problem because when ICJ rulings involve some of the world's superpowers, like world superpowers on the UN Security Council, like the United States that has vetoed all kinds of UN resolutions against Israel for its treatment of Palestinians in the last handful of months, or like in many other times in the history of the UN where China has vetoed or Russia has vetoed, how can the ICJ be effective? I'm going to talk about that later. So the South African government has put together this legal team that went to the ICJ to argue that Israel has already committed genocidal acts as defined in the Genocide Convention to which Israel is a signatory and to prove that Israel has shown genocidal intent, which means the intent to wipe out the people of Palestine in Gaza. But why has South Africa brought this case forward? South Africa has a long history with Israel and Palestine. Infamously, Israel had a long, fruitful, and close alliance with the apartheid government in South Africa. John Forster, despite being a known anti-Semite, visited Israel in the 1970s and was lauded by Israelis for doing so. Apartheid South Africa and Israel even collaborated on the nuclear weapons programs. And Palestine always supported the ANC and the struggle for freedom and liberation in this land. Palestine long supported Mkontoe Sizwe, long helped exiles of the ANC when they were abroad trying to effect positive change and trying to take down the apartheid government. And as such, the ANC has remained a close ally of Palestine. And the strength of the bond between the two groups relies on the view from the ANC that the ANC sees the Palestinian people's plight as one of being under occupation and being oppressed by an occupying evil force. And they see that as extremely resonant with apartheid and the treatment of black South Africans by the white rulers during the apartheid period. The ANC often says that the struggle for liberation is not complete until the Palestinian people are free. And famously, Nelson Mandela once appeared on an American TV broadcast, which had a live studio audience who could ask him questions. And someone in the audience challenged him uh, by basically saying, you know, how could you be friends with and close with Cuba and with Mamo Gaddafi and with Yasser Arafat and the Palestinians? implying from an American perspective that he was remaining close with evil people, potentially with terrorists, with oppressors. And if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. Nelson Mandela just turns and says, One of the mistakes which some political analysts make is to think that their enemies should be our enemies. And he gets a standing ovation. So this history of South Africa intertwined with Israel and Palestine forms the bedrock of why South Africa's government put together this team of legal avengers to take this case to the ICJ. So let's look at the charges. South Africa has created an 84-page legal argument complete with tons of evidence, a lot of it not controversial, that they believe shows that Israel has committed genocide in violation with the 1948 Genocide Convention, which defines it as acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnic, racial, 
or religious group. South Africa is arguing that Israel is trying to destroy the Palestinians as a group, including Israel taking actions to prevent Palestinian births by destroying essential health services that are crucial for the survival of pregnant women and babies. South Africa has also blamed Israel for failing to prevent and prosecute incitement to genocide, which means accusing the Israeli government of not disciplining or stopping members of Israel's leadership from saying things that incite genocidal acts. South Africa is trying to prove that Israel has committed at least one, if not many, genocidal acts against Palestinians in Gaza already, that they are still continuing to do so as the court tries to reach a verdict, and that Israel has shown clear genocidal intent through the utterances, the speeches, the quotes of very powerful and significant leaders. One of South Africa's senior counsel in the case, Adila Hassim, identified four ways that South Africa believes that Israel has already committed genocidal acts. This killing is nothing short of destruction of Palestinian life. It is inflicted deliberately. No one is spared, not even newborn babies. The scale of Palestinian child killings in Gaza is such that UN chiefs have described it as a graveyard for children. The devastation we submit is intended, is intended to and has laid waste to Gaza beyond any acceptable legal, let alone humane, justification. She cited Article 2 of the Genocide Convention, which reads, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial or religious group as such. And then she specifically cited Article 2A, 2B, 2C and 2D. 2A is the killing of members of a group. 2B is causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of a group. 2C is deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. And 2D is imposing measures intending to prevent births within a group. And South Africa doesn't feel that they need to prove all of those. It feels it just needs to prove one, but is confident that it can prove all of them with ease. And South Africa also argued through senior counsel Tembeka Nkukaitobi's presentation that there was clear evidence of genocidal intent. Many propagators of grave atrocities have protested that they were misunderstood, <coughs> that they did not mean what they said, and that their own words were taken out of context. What state would admit to a genocidal intent? Yet, the distinctive feature of this case has not been the silence as such, but the reiteration and repetition of genocidal speech throughout every sphere of state in Israel. We remind the court of the identity and authority of the genocidal inciters. South Africa believes they only need to prove one of these things to be successful in their application. South Africa is arguing that there is more than sufficient evidence that Israel might commit genocidal acts in the future. So, 
Genocidal intent. That's what it means. It means the intention to commit a genocide by trying to destroy or remove a whole group of people. And the hardest part of the document to read, the most upsetting part, is an extraordinary passage towards the end of it where South Africa lays out all of the evidence that they have of genocidal intent. They include Israel's leader, Benjamin Netanyahu. The suit cites Netanyahu comparing the Palestinians to the Amalek, a biblical nation that God instructed the Israelites to destroy. The Bible verse states, Now go and smite Amalek, kill both man and woman, infant. On the 26th of December, in a statement, Netanyahu said that despite the extensive destruction of Gaza and the killing of thousands, we are deepening the fight in the coming days, and this will be a long battle. That shows intent to continue what they've been doing. The South African case says that the scope of the Israeli military's operations, its indiscriminate bombings and executions of civilians, as well as Israel's blockade of food, water, medicine, fuel, shelter, and other humanitarian assistance are proof of its claims to try and destroy, or at the very least drive out, Palestinians from the area. These actions have pushed the Strip to the brink of famine, And many Israeli leaders, prominent people in Israeli society and government have talked about where Palestinians should go, where they can be moved to. But it's always out of Gaza. Besides genocide, South Africa also claims that Israel is committing other violations of international law in the Gaza Strip, like launching an assault on Palestinian culture by attacking sites of religion, education, art, science, historic monuments, hospitals, and places where the sick and wounded are collected. So South Africa is specifically seeking an order from the ICJ that Israel shall immediately suspend its military operations in and against Gaza and ensure Israel's compliance with its obligations under the Genocide Convention not to engage in genocide and to prevent and to punish genocide. The response from Israel and its most important partner and supporter, the United States, was immediate. Israeli spokesperson Elon Levy said, We assure South Africa's leaders history will judge you and it will judge you without mercy. Israeli leaders have framed South Africa's case as profoundly anti-Semitic, an attack on Judaism and Jewish people and the project of Israel. So let's say South Africa wins this case and the case is upheld. What happens then? Article 94 of the UN Charter says that each member state undertakes to comply with the decision of the International Court of Justice in any case to which it is a party. Now, Israel is a signatory of the UN Charter, and Article 94 of the UN Charter also provides measures in the event that state actors ignore the ICJ's orders. So hypothetically, let's say Israel ignores the hypothetical court judgment that upholds South Africa's case. Israel ignores the ICJ, and continues in exactly the way that they are going now. The aggrieved party, under Article 94, the aggrieved party, which is South Africa in this instance, may approach the UN Security Council for recourse. But the problem with that is the UN Security Council means the five permanent members of the UN Security Council, and we all know that at the UN, the five members of the UN Security Council each has a veto power to stop anything from happening. And that's where the United States comes in. Because the United States has been the firmest supporter of Israel, not only in the last 50, 60, 70 years since Israel was formed, but 
the United States has been an active supporter of Israel in this conflict. In the days following the October 7 atrocities committed by Hamas, the United States immediately sent an aircraft carrier to sit off of the coast of Gaza as a deterrent against a raft of potential enemies from attacking Israel. The U.S. has continued to send financial support as well as munitions. And remember, the IDF's war chest, all of their tools and equipment is U.S. created and trained on U.S. systems. The Biden administration has continued to use executive orders to bypass their own Congress, their own parliamentary system, to send hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars of military aid to Israel. And the U.S., as I said earlier, has vetoed a bunch of resolutions condemning Israel and calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, even as the wider General Assembly of the United Nations has voted overwhelmingly in favor of a ceasefire and voted overwhelmingly to condemn IDF activity in the Gaza Strip. And this has literally happened before, a superpower using a veto to thwart the ICJ. In fact, it's happened often, but most recently, in March 2022, one month after Russia invaded Ukraine, Kiev, that's Ukraine, filed a case against Russia at the ICJ. And in that case, Ukraine also asked the ICJ to lay down emergency measures to stop Russia's aggression. The court did order Moscow to hold military operations shortly after, stating that it was profoundly concerned by the assault on Ukraine. Nevertheless, more than a year later, the war in Ukraine continues. Russia just ignored it. That will almost certainly happen here. But I'm sure now you're wondering, will the ICJ uphold South Africa's application? And that's where it gets really interesting, because the ICJ is supposed to be a collection of judges following international law to find a just outcome that follows principles set by the international community. But... As I said earlier, the ICJ is constituted by 15 judges who have been nominated and put forward by countries that have political motivations on the international stage. So although in theory, the judges should rule on international law principles, in practice, rulings of judges at the ICJ have more often than not followed the party line of the political leadership of the countries that the judges are from. The judges have been selected by the political establishment in their countries to be political agents on the international stage. So it's important to consider the judges who are hearing this case. I'm not going to read you their names, not important. But I am going to read you the countries. And you might be able to figure out which way these judges will vote based on the countries that they're from. So the current president, actually, although that doesn't give them superpowers, but the current president of the ICJ is a judge from the United States of America. Pretty sure I don't have to tell you which way that judge is almost certain to vote. The vice president is from Russia, and we know what Russia has been saying about Israel-Palestine. Then we have a Slovakian. We have a judge from France, which is really interesting, because Emmanuel Macron, France's president, was hardcore supportive of Israel for a long time, but more recently in the last handful of weeks, has started to speak in favor of ceasefire and speak out against IDF activities in Gaza. Then we have a judge from Morocco, an African country, an Arab country, a Muslim country, a raft of ties there with Palestine. We have a Somalian judge, similar African ties there considering the case is being brought by South Africa. 
Then we have a judge from China, Uganda, India, Jamaica, Lebanon, which we know their history with Israel, Japan, Germany, Australia, and Brazil. So that's important. Watch out for which way these judges go. Rulings in the ICJ are decided by simple majority. So 8-7 out of 15 is enough. So now for the big part. What happens if the ICJ upholds South Africa's request and orders Israel to cease its activities in Gaza? Essentially finds that Israel has genocidal intent and that the consequences could lead to crimes of genocide on Palestinian people. First things first, Israel will almost certainly ignore the ICJ's order. And the US will almost certainly support Israel and thwart South Africa at the level of the UN Security Council. There is no realistic hope that the UN collectively will force Israel to stop. The United States has actually said a few times in the last week that they've seen no evidence of genocidal activity or genocidal intent. But here's something you should know. Israel is really worried about this case, like really concerned. Like they've gone on an extraordinary publicity offensive against this case by Israel in Gaza. So why is Israel worried? Why does this matter even if the ICJ has no actual power to force them to stop? Because if the ICJ upholds South Africa's application, Israel will be known as a country that is committing genocide on Palestinians. Sure, they won't be stopped from continuing their activities, but that label will stick and it will not budge. Because sure, the ICJ has got no policing power, but the ICJ has authority. It's the International Court of Justice as part of the United Nations organizations. And so for the ICJ to say that Israel has genocidal intent to destroy, to wipe out the people of Palestine will go around the world. And as I said earlier, this conflict is maybe the first of its kind in history because this is a conflict that has been extensively covered and commented on and experienced through all reaching social media, through videos and tweets and DMs and podcasts like this one. And what that has meant is an international movement of solidarity with the Palestinian people, hundreds of millions, almost certainly billions of people at this point, wishing that Israel would stop, calling on their governments to try to stop Israel, trying to support Palestinians in any and every way they can. And for the ICJ to say Israel is committing genocide and has intent to commit genocide, Israel will then be known as the nation doing exactly that thing. And even with the United States of America standing with them and denying the ICJ's claims and saying that they themselves have not seen any evidence of genocide, even with Israel accusing South Africa and South Africa's legal team and anybody else in the world who criticizes them of being anti-Semitic, that label will stick and the consequences will be enormous for Israel. Now, in the present day, as that term is so powerful, genocide and genocidal intent, it will become a powerful rallying cry that will be used by protest organizations all around the world to try and exert power. 
and even more so in the future, in decades to come, where the young people who are protesting today against what is happening in Gaza, what Israel is doing in Palestine, grow older, gain social power, gain positions of political authority, and the political beliefs they are forming now becomes the political agendas of the people in power in the future. So sure, if South Africa wins this case, do not expect Israel to stop. But do expect a fundamental change in the whole dynamic of this conflict. So, that's the issue with South Africa's case before the ICJ accusing Israel of genocidal intent against Palestinians in Gaza. Thank you so much for listening to The Issue with Dan Corder and please pop us a follow and a subscribe because we will be updating you as this case moves towards its conclusion. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in a few days' time for the next episode of The Issue with Dan Corder.